So as human beings, we uh, experience what we call a world of circumstances. There's changing events, movement of time, history, things always moving along in terms of time. And we move around from place to place. A couple of days ago, I was in Auckland, New Zealand. Then I went to Kuala Lumpur. Now I'm here. A few days' time, I'll be in Germany. And so on and so on and so on. Aging goes on. Yeah. Circumstances change. Pleasant unpleasant, comfortable, uncomfortable, moving on. We also can become aware of the whole world of circumstances of global economy and politics, climate change and crisis and um, aggression and war famine and so forth, these things which are very uncomfortable to learn about. There's a sense of the future. What will the future hold for us? Where are we going? Some way we always uh, are encouraged to have the sense of our lives could become uh, better we can move onwards to something in the future. And this future we must, through our own efforts, to apply our efforts so that we have a good future. Mm. You know, so if you study hard and you work hard, and then the future will be okay. You'll have a pleasant future. And yet you can also kind of feel well, Sounds convincing, sort of. But also living in this world of circumstances seem beyond our control. Changing the environment. Too many people on the planet. You know, this crisis is going on. Also in that, how can our own efforts change any of that? And you might have a, a kind of a, also another perspective on time, karma. What kind of actions do I do? What will they result in in, in the future, future life? Be born again on this planet or somewhere else or what? So the sense of... Uh, the future and what's going to be the best thing to steer towards that future. Yeah. Is there one? So there can be a lot of anxiety and depression around the future. A lot of pressure to try to make it as good as possible and yet feeling well maybe circumstances are beyond us. Yeah. 
So maybe there's no point at all. And then, of course, if we follow that view, then we just, the mind just kind of collapses into pointlessness and then just purely, you know, something to gratification of some kind just to get by, get through the day. And so actually this is, this is the conundrum that acts as the uh, spur, encouragement to reset and deepen beyond circumstances. I remember when I was in my teens, there we had the threat nuclear war. And looking around in Britain in those days when I was younger, still recovering from the Second World War, so bombed areas and, and depression. And, uh, and they were just kind of getting that together and then this threat of being blasted off the planet by nuclear warfare mushroom clouds and all that kind of thing. <laughs> you think, what's the point of anything, really? <laughs> yeah. But it's so, so important to, to, um, to recognize you have another opportunity that you can personally realize uh, independent of circumstance. This is valuable because any circumstance on this circumstantial level of sense contact and time always goes eventually to death, one's own death, separation from the loved and so forth. These are pretty uncomfortable ideas, but they are, they are held there in order to turn the mind around. These are one of the four uh, themes that turn the mind around. Aging, sickness, death, karma, the results of our actions, which bodily action, verbal action, an action of attention. So what you choose to give your attention to as results because that will lead your thinking, it will lead your attitudes, it will lead your motivation, and then you'll speak and think and act in those ways. It's very important then to grab hold of attention and place it where one feels most confident. This will be for my welfare, not just in the future, but in the present. Because that's what you can know. And you can know that the future will happen inevitably, in one sense. But what's not inevitable is the direction. That is, what kind of future. So there will be conditions will continue to arise. But what you what you have some choice over is which ones. And it depends on where you put your attention. So I didn't, personally I didn't have that clear an idea when I was in my 
teens and early twenties, that I knew what was not worth giving attention to. <laughs> I started to get a sense of this is all pointless. The sense of, uh, you know, get a career and get a business and da 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 da. da. If you have to, that's what you have to do, but I don't see much value in that because it doesn't actually uh, deal with the big topics of aging, sickness, death. What are we here for? So that just that one called it Deva Dutta starts to turn the mind where you give attention. This is called karma. This is the second thing that turns the mind around. Realizing you have the possibility to determine where you give your attention. This means you start to sense what are my values. What value? Yeah. Values are different from value. Value is money, isn't it? This is a this is a good value. It's value for money. Values <laughs> you can't buy them. So you go beyond that. Yeah. It seems so often, uh, unfortunately, people can just give up their values for money, power, so on. Which is, has no, doesn't take you any deeper, doesn't take you out of circumstances, doesn't take you out of craving. Uh, in fact, embeds, embeds the attention in it. So we give attention to values, what your values are. And I don't need to tell you that because it's a, it's a question. What's worthwhile? What's really worthwhile? Mm. And how deep does it go? Mm. Mm. What means when you go to bed at night, you lie down, you have something. So if you die tonight, you're living in the right place. What do you stand for? It's something you can wake up in the morning and get hold of. Mm. Parami. Yeah. You know, these ten parami in Buddhism. Do you know those? Generosity, morality, relinquishment, renunciation, wisdom, patience, energy, truthfulness. Do you know these? Yeah. And then it goes on, loving kindness. Uh, equanimity, resolution. And probably of all of those, they're all valuable, aren't they? But the really significant one is resolution. Because that means whatever you have, you keep resolving it, keep firming it up, firming it up. So it's not just an idea. It's not just for one day. It's not just for a few hours. It's through holding it steady through the process of circumstance, of 
tiredness, of sickness, of happiness, comings and goings, and you keep resetting them and stabilizing. This is, this is a big feature in Buddhist practice. Mm-hmm. The Buddha sometimes said you should could recollect frequently those virtues praised by the wise. Recollect means you pick up the idea, think the idea, keep thinking the idea, and then you do a very important shift. You pick up the feeling. So, as I've mentioned before, touched on it, what does it feel like? And maybe you think, well, I don't know, no, just do it again. <laughs> and take these words like giving, loving kindness, take the word, until you get an image, like an impression, giving, like an open hand, something flowing. You think, oh, maybe it's something like that, yeah? Feels like, flowing, giving. It means I have a lot here because it's pouring out of me. Yeah. And it, you, when you pick up that sign, you feel the heart kind of moves into this quality of flowing, generosity. And you pick that up. You recollect it. Virtue, harmlessness, sense of No creature need fear me. The gentle, no creature need fear me. I offer the gift of fearlessness. You have no need to feel frightened, anxious or nervous. I offer you that gift. So just sensing something like that, I can do that. And how does that feel? Clear, clean, grand, open, spacious. You pick up the sign. Now the sign is the chitta's impression. So I've given you a couple of examples. Sign of generosity, a brimming, overflowing heart. Sign of virtue, stable steady, no deviation, no wobbling, just this. Virtue makes you strong, gives a sign of strength. Generosity gives a sign of happiness, fullness. Renunciation, sign of freedom. Renunciation is like Letting go of a balloon that's going up into the sky. Okay, there you go. Bye. Just let it go. What is that feeling? You're now freed from holding on to that. So these are just examples of the first three parami. So you pick up the sign, the impression, the image, take it into the heart, and then you sense that and 
as you're sensing it, sense even how you feel it in your body. Now you may think, what body? And I don't mean the physical body, I mean in terms of your uh, energy, your vitality, your inner body. Whether it feels straight, open, these are definitely experiences we have. When we make commitments, there's a strength and a straightness about it. When we experience generosity and loving kindness, there's an open quality to our energy. Yeah. And you can feel these. And then dwelling in that, making much of that, you're finding a place beyond the world of circumstances that you can live in. So if we look at, for example, you look at something like we just chanted the Metta Sutta, Buddha's words on loving kindness. If you look at that, what does it say? Able, upright, truly upright, straightforward, no deviations, no wavering, no manipulative, straight, forward. What it is, say it as it is. Straightforward and gentle in speech. So it's straight, but it's not aggressive. It's clean, it's honest, it's straight, but it's, it's gentle, so that a person can receive it. It encourages us to listen. We don't have gentle speech. People don't take things into their heart. Gentle speech goes deep. You're touched by it. Humble and not conceited. Soft, no pushing. Frugal in their ways. Modest in what we ask for, what we require. Peaceful and calm. Wise and skillful. All this list, and so far there's been not a single mention of loving kindness. <laughs> and this is the Buddha's words on loving kindness. And it's, it says, if you do all that, get that lined up, what happens is your chitta is so properly set and established in terms of how we relate to others, in how we you know, use our speech, how we moderate our senses, that it will naturally, by itself, <laughs> it expresses its own loving-kindness. It comes naturally. It's the f fruition of this. May all beings be well, near and far, mighty and strong, mighty and weak. Yeah. And it's a sense of the heart widening and opening. So that this then becomes something that we, within, apparently within the world of circumstances, we find our place our steadiness, and then we let the chitta 
proceed to bring forth its beauty. So that whatever future arises from that will be a future based upon virtue, on steadiness, on uprightness, and by itself naturally bring the quality of goodwill into the world. This is a pretty good way to live. <laughs> In one of the suttas, the Buddha says to Mahanama, the Sakyan, he says, if you recollect your own virtues every day, then even if you're sitting at home with all the children running around, running all over you, pulling your hair, doing what children do, you will feel comfortable and peaceful, even in the midst of all the kind of family chaos. <laughs> it's a lovely image. It's, it's, it's even in your house full of children screaming and running around, you just feel... <laughs> It's a very touching, kind of domestic situation. So certainly, you know, it's not that he's oblivious to it. He's aware of it. He's not trying to go away so as I can get into samadhi. <laughs> Just you find the the world changes. You can, you know, these people are running around doing things, but they're not they're not invading your heart. Uh, instead, you can bring forth your own treasures, your own qualities, your own goodness. This is possible. And this is what's been happening for all these thousands of years in the, in the realm of true practice. Those who supatipano, ujupatipano, straight, upright. You know? When we look at these words, Pati, thorough, panno, panno means short from apano, to access, to enter into. So as you're almost generating a, a world you can enter into. And then from there you can refer or bring those your energies and your heart and your attitudes out to the world around you. No? And as it says in the Metta Sutta, cultivating this standing, reclining, free, you know, clearing the mind of dullness and sleepiness and drowsiness, staying with this. You're not born again into this world. You're not born again into the world of circumstances. Yeah. And I think that means not just sometime in the future, but every day the world of circumstances happens around you, but you're not embedded in it. You know, like Mahanama the Sakyan. You're not weighed down by it. You're not seeking something from it. You realize it's... Uh, it's not something you can ask for happiness from because the senses can't do it. But the chitta can. And when you do this, the pressure goes off what you're doing, what you're, how you're operating and so forth. So the future becomes something that's 
always a place of um, fruitfulness. This turns the mind around. We understand the limitations of the sense realm. Yeah. We understand, begin to understand cause and effect, what we do, what we think, what we give attention to, shapes us, directs us, steers us. That's good. That's our birth. That's our rebirth. When you understand that, you look for some guidance, right? Third thing that turns your mind around, Buddha. Guidance. This is what you're looking for. Look that way. And give your full attention to that. What does the Buddha say? He says, yeah, sure. But what you need to give attention to is not even me. But what's happening in your citta puts it right back here. And then we've got some sense of the Buddha is asking us, giving us the opportunity and the encouragement to touch into our own strengths, values, beauty, and live from there. Yeah. Now if we, you know, you look in the life of the Buddha, and you can say in some sense, this was a kind of, um, you know, it was a time of, there was war going on all the time, kings were always fighting with each other, that seemed to be their, their business was to fight, conquer, they seemed to be just, it's always their, their role. There was obviously there was aging sickness and death, there were people trying to kill him, so even the Buddha, people were trying to kill him. And he set up, he gave all his teachings, and some people seemed to honor them, and some people seemed to lose the idea and debase the teachings, monks going astray, monks up to all kinds of misbehavior. So in some ways it was like, you know, not that great a success. <laughs> And yet, this kept going. Through all those, all the Indian kings, they all came and fought and died and went on and India changed and various empires came and went. You know, the Chinese, the Indian, the Romans, the British, various empires, you know, clashed their spears and made big noise and came and went, you know. Countries disappeared, big countries, entire countries disappeared, arose and disappeared. Who's ever heard what happened to the, the Tartars and the Mongols? And the, they just came and went, you know, entire countries materialized and dematerialized. And Buddha Dhamma kept going because it relies upon something more powerful, purity of heart. And purity of heart is essentially, that's what we pass on, the message. The heart can be pure. Purity of heart is possible. It's our refuge. It's what we offer to each other. So when we gather together, we gather together in purity of heart. You, know, you find it sets you, establishes you. 
So when you turn the mind around, find the values. They've got to be kept alive. It's not just something you kind of attach to as a dogmatic position, because essentially you're looking into the here and now as to where those qualities are arising, and you keep spreading them. We take something like, you know, harmlessness, refraining from killing creatures, and you can think, okay, I don't kill creatures. But then you look around and you think, if you want to develop it, you consider, is it possible to, not just to not kill creatures, but look at, you know, what do I eat? Do I eat creatures? Does that involve killing them? Somebody killing them? Do I support other people killing creatures? And we look at things like eating meat and how we use resources for using poisons. You know, we're ending up uh, acquiring a whole load of junk, plastics that you then throw into the, into the ocean and that kills creatures. So you can take something like the quality of sealer and get into it and begin to develop it and spread it beyond the boundaries of just pure precepts into sensitivity. You, know, you give your attention to that, give your attention to that, and this will be for your welfare. And you can't, you don't quite know the results. But uh, give you a very uh, simple example how the, uh, certainly in my life, yeah, having sensed I don't wear the values, I traveled around and in meditation somewhere, you know, found out it was in Thailand, meditation class being given. Okay, well, I'll, I guess I'll go to that and see if that will clear my mind up a bit. They sit somewhere and the person's talking. The person was sitting next to an open window in a vihara, and it was the evening, and he had a little lamp to see by. So all the flying ants coming in, attracted to the light, and they were landing on him, crawling over him, yeah. over his eye, face, and, and he kept talking, and every now and then he'd just take one of these flies out of his mouth and carefully put it somewhere else, so it didn't get damaged. And then one would get into his eye, and he very carefully just catch it by the let go of it. And I, I can't remember anything about the meditation instruction, but I remembered that. <laughs> and I thought, that's, that's amazing. Because he's not, oh, dang thing, you know. And they're crawling over him. So if they don't get into his eyes, he lets them crawl over his head, you know, down his arm and so forth. He gets into his mouth, he takes it out. So he's not concerned with where they're affecting him, he just doesn't want them to be hurt. That's amazing, you know, to see something like that happening. So I thought, well, uh, this person, I think, I think they've got something that's worth knowing. That's what I mean by picking up the sign. See, the, the sign, the image, the impression, touches the heart. This is unusual. Yeah. yeah. And so, 
that led to this. <laughs> I didn't have the idea before then to become a monk, but that led to that, and go to meditate, and that led to this. So that results from that. This wasn't what I had planned for the future. <laughs> but when you pick up the sign, you follow it. That's where it's going. Something opens. Something touches you. I'll give you another example. When Jun uh, uh, Sumedho, when he was uh, uh, about ten rains, and uh, thought he'd go to see his parents, he was also a bit worried, concerned about the Vietnamese War, and he could, because they could hear all the the bombers going over northeast Thailand. So he was very aware of this Vietnamese war going on just a few miles away from where they were living. Ajahn Chah wasn't bothered. He just said, here we are. What are you going to do about it? Just here we are. But Ajahn Sumedha thought, well, I wonder if there's any, if we have to leave the country, is there anywhere in America we could go to? So he flew over to America. They weren't interested. But the Thai International Airlines in that time, the airplanes couldn't take enough gasoline to make the flight to Thailand in one go. So they had to stop off. So they stopped off in London to get refueled. So he had to stop in London and do a changeover. So he... He had a phone number of uh, his place in Hampstead to stay at, so he phoned him up and they took him in. Anyway, so just around that, the um, layman decided to start a forest monastery in England. Started a monastery. Ajahn Chah said, you go there. Okay, didn't really want to go, but that sense of you follow your teacher and there's an invitation, they provide the four requisites, then you go. And he was living there, and it's a very small house in London. And uh, one day a Thai woman who owned a Thai restaurant in South London, so she was a restaurant owner, she used to drink, go to nightclubs, the way that people do. And then one day a woman turned up in the restaurant and said, you, I've got to buy some rice. So what do you want rice for? So I want a sack of rice. I've got to get some rice. Sack of rice. What for? Oh, there's this monk living up in North London. American monk. Got to provide food for the Sangha. And so this Thai restaurant owner thought, oh, she's really interest. What's, what's, what's this big, why has she got this tremendous wish to offer rice, sack of rice? I'd better go and check it out. So she goes up to, to the, where the Ajahn Sumedha is living in North London and she says, who are you? He says, oh, my Ajahn Sumedha and I've been sent here by my teacher, Lumpur Cha. Oh, Lumpur Cha, who's he? Oh, he lives in Ubon. And she gets this feeling. I think I'll go and see this monk. So she gets in a, gets a plane, drive, flies over to Thailand, 
So they say, oh, is that only an Ubon? Ubon in those days was like jungle. I mean, Bangkok people didn't go to Ubon. It's just too rough, too wild. So she tried to make her way out to Ubon. Eventually gets there to Wapapong, and they say, Lumbocha, he's not here. <laughs> he went somewhere. Where did he go? He didn't say, he just went. So they, she went to what Panana Chart, which is about not too far away, and they said, "Oh, I think he went to Tansung Pet." Said, Where's that? I said, "Why, oh, somewhere up a few miles away." But Tansung Pet just means Diamond Light Cave. So, like, if somebody says to you, "Oh, somebody's living in Diamond Light Cave," you think, "Where's that?" <laughs> But she felt, because of this sack of rice, <laughs> this is really important. So she looked around and, oh, I heard of some place up north called Tsung Tsung Pet. Yeah, I think it's over there. Yeah, it's okay. She drives through the dark. It's getting dark. It's now nighttime. Trying to find this place. And then she finds a woman standing by the side of the road. Just standing there. Do you know? So I don't know. She asked him, Where, where's this tongue? Oh, yeah, it's just up there. And he goes up there. And uh, then she finds this place. It's now nighttime. So she looks around, can't see anybody. And somebody appears. A little boy appears and says, Oh, you go up there. And then this monk comes out and says, Oh, Lumpur Cha is just, just there. Just go over there. She goes in, door opens. Lumpur Cha stands there and he says, I've been waiting for you. <laughs> Where have you been? <laughs> so she kind of <laughs> hits the ground and she just feels a tremendous heart opening. She says, you've got to, now you've got to support the Sangha in Britain. So she went back and she started, Dana, 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 food. Gave up drinking, gave up clubs, gave up night clubs, get the five precepts, meditate, and provided food for the Sangha for the next 40 years, <laughs> every week, offering every week, and then meditating, offering support, creating, just because of what? Because somebody gave one sack of rice. So that's how it works. You pick up the sign, something touches you, goes deep, and you turn, you follow it. It takes you through some confusing areas that you didn't really think you were going to go to. Perhaps you go into a strange country or meet strange people, turn up at a monastery, go to a meditation class, I don't know. But you find you're following the heart. And that's going to take you, always takes you to a place of refuge and beauty and strength. Pick up the sign, reset, keep clearing your mind of circumstances. Don't mean you ignore them, but don't let circumstances take over your life. You didn't come here to work, you didn't come here for business. 
You came here for freedom. You came here to find truth. That's what you were born for. The rest of it is just accessories <laughs> to support that. This is what you're here for. So please take these words for encouragement and uh, offer this for your welfare and happiness.